Lord, you, you're stirring something in me this morning, and I, and I know that if you're stirring it in me, that you're stirring it in the hearts and the lives of others. Lord, the message that you have this morning is one that I pray would just penetrate lives. Lord, this, everything in me, everything that you give me this morning is that this would be a, a morning of breakthrough for someone, some individuals, or some family. That there would just be a powerful reality of truth that is just dropped on individuals and families this morning that will set them free. Lord, I know this morning that there are families and individuals who are living in, in turmoil and unrest within their, with, within their lives, within their spirit, within their soul. Lord, there's, there's questions unanswered. There's relationships that just aren't right. I pray, Lord, this morning that by the few words that you give me, by the, Lord, they're not even coming easily this morning. But through the words that I speak, that you would just release power. That you would release freedom this morning into this body. And when we come to this time of ministry, and we ask the ministers to come forward, those who know this morning that they will be ready to release freedom into someone else's life, that you will be getting those lives ready, even as I speak. Prepare those who will come, but also prepare those who will minister freedom to them. I pray, Lord, that we would just come and just recognize that this is a life-changing day, that this is a life-changing morning. We know that it's cold outside. We know what the weather is like out there. But I pray, Lord, that every ounce of attention and energy would be placed into your word, listening for your spirit this morning. But I, I pray that this would not be a morning. The picture that you give me right now is that this is a morning where people are going to be leaning back in their seats. And I pray, Lord, by your spirit at the end of the service that they would not be able to lean against the back, that they would be pressing against the front of the one in front of them, Lord, anxious because of what you're doing in them and through them and by them this morning. Prepare the ministers and prepare those who will come. I just lift lift this moment up to you. Just pray that you would calm and settle my tongue. But what I can't make clear by my tongue, I pray, Lord, that you would just bring amazing clarity by your Spirit. In the ears of those who are hearing, in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, turn with me to the book of 1 Kings. First Kings chapter 17, a very familiar story, one I have shared several times before. But as I studied last night and as I put myself before the Lord, really, as Jan and I drove home from Fort Worth yesterday, uh, I spent some time with the Lord even driving. Jan thought I was asleep. I wasn't. I was just meditating with the Lord all those miles that I had my eyes closed. <clears throat> just because there was something about this morning that was just stirring in me. That this, that this was an unusual one. This, this one is going to be marked by a couple of things. One is it's going to seem very routine because we are pressed against the back of our chairs. But if you have the heart to, 
if you have the courage to this morning, to open yourself up and let the Lord speak to you, you will find yourself on the edge of your seat because you know that the Lord is setting you free this morning. I pray that the second would be your choice, that, that the Holy Spirit, as he begins to speak this morning, would just draw you to the front of your chair and that you would, you would realize that God has something special for you. 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. And Elijah, the Tishbite. Again, we don't know anything else about Elijah. I don't even know what a Tishbite is. Uh, as I've said every time I've shared this, though, whatever it is, I don't think I want to be one. Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went, and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. We know the story well. God has instructed Elijah to go to the king, King Ahab, and tell him that until he says that there will be no rain in the land. And as we read here, God gave Elijah instructions. This is where I want you to go. And I want you to go where I sent you. And I want you to stay where I put you. Because if you'll go where I sent and if you'll stay where I put you, then, then I will take care of you. My provision will meet you there. And that's exactly what we realize happened. We're introduced to Elijah here, but we don't know anything about his ancestry. We don't know anything about his pedigree. We don't know any great acts of faith at this point that he has ever demonstrated, nor acts of great power. We don't know anything about him. He steps onto the scene in this moment, making this claim to the king and uh, discovering what we need to all discover. Several years ago, I don't know if there's any of you who have been here long enough to remember this, but uh, when I was about 30, I was introduced uh, to the teachings and to the writings of a man named Major Ian Thomas. And uh, he wrote the book, The Saving Life of Christ, and next to my, my conversion when I was eight years old, never a greater moment than that one when I was introduced to him and the reality of the saving life of Christ, the indwelling Christ. Christ in me. After I had read the book and found out a little bit about him, I called him on the phone and asked him, with the pastor's permission at the time, if, if we could see if he would come. He traveled 48 weeks of the year. Uh, at that time, he was well into his 80s. And uh, I just called him on the phone and said, would you ever come to a place this small? And he said, if the Lord sends me, I'll go anywhere he sends me. He said, but you need to know that I'm booked up for the next two years. So in February that year, he came. We waited our two years. He came. It was a morning just like this. He was late coming in from the airport. If you remember, he was, we were singing and almost to the point of the message when he and his friend came walking in. He walked up on the platform and he began to speak. Well, I had waited those two years and that Sunday afternoon, I had to fly to Chicago for a meeting that lasted all week. So I'd waited the two years and then didn't get to hear him except for the last night when I got home.
But Ian Thomas is one of those men who's had a great influence on my life. And I would encourage you to read anything he's written, to listen to anything he says, because he's deep and profound in his understanding of the Word of God. But he introduced me to the reality of, of going where God sends you, staying where he puts you, and, he'll, and even the ravens will feed you. You know, that's something that in our Christian life we desperately need to know. I shared a little bit about this last or two weeks ago. There's not a single one of us in here. If I, if I were to ask the question, you know, of any of you, you know, Jason, why, why, do, you, why do you do it in, in a, for a living what you do? There's only one answer that Jason, Jason should give. It's the same one that Jimmy should give, or Shorty should give, or Jeremy would give. It's the same answer because as Christians we only have one. Well, I listened to where he sent me, and I'm doing what I'm doing because that's where he put me. Because I don't want to explain my life under any other terms. I don't want to explain my life just simply saying, well, it was a good opportunity for me, or because that's what my parents did, or because that's what I went to school to do. I don't want to explain my life by any other terms except to say, I'm doing what I'm doing, going where I'm going, giving what I'm giving, because the Lord sent me, in obedience I went, and I'm going to stay put until he moves me. I hope that's the definition of your life right now. I hope that there's no other explanation. Because there's no one better to live your life through you than Jesus is when we're, where we're supposed to be. By the work of the Holy Spirit, when we are in obedience where we're designed to be, we live in this amazing place. We talked about this about three weeks ago. What it means to live in the design of God and what it means to live outside of the design of God. It's not a question of right or wrong. When we live in God's design, we live under his favor. We live, he's able to release blessings within his design, within his purpose, not counting us right or wrong. But he's able in, within his design to release blessings that he can't release otherwise. And we went through a list of several of those. What does it mean to live inside of God's design and out? I want to tell you, when you go where you're sent, and you stay where you're put, God has an ability to release goodness through you, power in you, blessings to others by you that he can't do when you're living outside of his design. I hope that concept resonates with you. I hope that makes sense to you. Elijah is, is sitting by a brook, being fed by birds and drinking out of the brook. Now, how do you explain that? Except for the fact that he was obedient to where God sent him. Well, I want to I take this one step further this morning. I want to I share one more thing beyond just the evidence of what Elijah's done. So we go this morning into an understanding of what made Elijah great. Where, did this, where was this greatness of faith? It's not found in great revivals. We can point to great revivals and we, we use those as illustrations, but I want to tell you, great faith is not seen and evident necessarily in great revivals, even though we recognize that it's there. It's not in great altar calls with, with people coming and just flooding to the front. It's not made in the great responses of a congregation. That's not the evidence of great faith. The greatness of faith is discovered when we find the provision of God when there is absolutely no evidence 
or no sign of it around us. Let me say that again. The greatness of faith is determined when we're able to find the provision of God when there's no evidence or there's no, there's no, or none of it is in sight. Well, I want to, why is this important? Because every one of us this morning are living some compact set of circumstances or situations. Every one of us have things going on in our life. Relationships, issues, purposes, jobs, all the things that make up life. There's not a single one of us in here. It would be ridiculous to think that we don't have circumstances and situations facing us. Well, I want to tell you, how do you find great faith? It's when you find that person. When they look around and all they see is difficulty and struggle. All they see is test and trial. And somehow, out of that, they're able to find the deep provision of God and pull it into today's reality. I know conceptually you're going to have to take a minute to get your mind around that. You're going to have to process that for, for a moment because... Most of us are so controlled by our circumstances and situations that reaching into the provision of God and finding it is almost impossible. Well, I want us to read the rest of this, or more of this passage in 1 Kings as I get back to this point. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8. Recognizing that, the, that Elijah's greatness was not in what he could see around him, but in something far, far deeper. Where did he find the provision? Beginning with verse 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain you. Now, if we stop in that story, and you've, some of you have heard me preach this before, if we stop in this story, realizing that Elijah is now leaving this brook where he's been fed and where there's been water, and under this command of God, he says, I want you to go to Zarephath, and there's a widow there, and she's going to take care of you. Well, most of our minds, being very logical and reasoning and processing this in front of us, would draw a conclusion. This must be a woman who has some means. She must have a house large enough that she has an extra room for me. She's probably a woman who has enough provision of food and of, and, and of abundance that for me to come would be no problem for her. Now, I guarantee that's what my mind would be. That's what my mind would be thinking. If God's going to send me to this woman, to this widow of Zarephath, surely that she must be a woman who has a provision large enough to take care of me for however long I'm supposed to be there. Because that only makes sense. We would not expect at all to find what Elijah found when he got there. Verse 10. So he arose and he went to Zarephath. Knew where he was sent, he went where he was put, and he stayed there. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Perfectly reasonable request. And as she was going to fetch it, he called her and says, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God lives, I have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Now what a strange turn of events. 
because the widow to whom he was sent, when he meets her at the gate of the city, she's gathering sticks. He makes a simple request of anyone. If, if I was sent to, to this woman and I knew that this was the provision that had been made for me, it would not be an unusual or an unreasonable request to say, can I have a drink of water? And if, if, if you don't mind, I need just a little bit to eat. Totally reasonable. I'm sure when she came back with the answer, do you believe here that Elijah was rattled by what she said? Or did, or did it even bother him? Because she made it very clear. Here's my plan. You see the sticks that I have in my hand? I'm going to build a fire. And I'm going to take the little bit of meal that I have in a barrel and the little bit of oil that I have in the cruise, and I'm going to mix them, and I'm going to bake them over this fire, and I'm going to feed my son and myself one last time, and then we're going to die. That was her plan. She had no thought beyond that. She had no provision that she could expect beyond what she had in her hand. But we know this story very well. Because here this woman is gathering and it says she has two sticks. What can you make perfectly well out of two sticks? Makes a nice cross, doesn't it? So she gathered two sticks and she said this. She says, I have a little bit of meal in a barrel. She said, that's, that's what I lack. I don't have much. She says, I have a little bit of cruise in, uh, oil in a cruise. And if we understand this story at all symbolically, the picture begins to rise out of these, out of these symbols. Because my lack, what I don't have, met the oil, which is the Holy Spirit. So my lack and the provision of God met where two sticks crossed and a fire burned. And the judgment of God, on Jesus on that cross, created a provision whether we see it in our circumstances or we see it in our situation or not. Because the provision that was made on that day, when my need met, his, met that oil, when my need met the Holy Spirit on the cross and the judgment of God burned under Jesus and He paid the price for you and me. When the sins, when my sins were dealt with and your sins were dealt with, He created a provision for us whether we could ever see it or not. I've told this story several times, but years ago when we were having church in houses, I'd asked Leah Perry to come up, and she was standing in front of me. And I said, Leah, I'm going to ask you in a minute to close your eyes, and I'm going to ask you to do one thing. But I said, before I ask you to do it, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. So I asked her, I said, Leah, do you believe for a minute that I would harm you? She said, no. Do you, do you think I would do, do anything that would cause you to be harmed or hurt? And she said, no, I don't. I said, well, then I'd like for you to, to close your eyes. And I asked her again these same questions. And I said, okay, here's what I'd like for you to do. I want you to fall backwards. And she just stood there. Her eyes closed. She didn't open her eyes. And I said, Leah, is there a problem? She said, yeah, there's a problem. I said, your voice is still in front of me. And she couldn't do it. See, what she didn't know was that I had asked Wes earlier, just quietly as he could, to step up behind her. 
She didn't realize that the invisible provision had been made. My voice was a bigger circumstance, a bigger situation than the invisible provision that was behind her. It was such a good illustration of, of, of what our faith does. Because our circumstances, we're, boy, we're tuned in to our circumstances. We're tuned into our situation. We're listening to those voices. We're, we're, we're seeing what the issues are. Not, not realizing that that day when two sticks crossed and a fire burned, and my need met his provision that he created the provision for me for the rest of my life, whether I see it or not. And great faith is found in those people who, regardless of their circumstances, regardless of their situation, can somewhere reach down deep inside and find that provision in the moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak specifically to someone because God's asking me to. Jeremy, is, as I was preparing this, God just kept bringing your face to me. Because you are this Elijah, this man who has the ability to, to reach deep and find the provision when it doesn't seem evident. You are that man. And the request that God speaks over you is... Have you found it for today? I don't know what all that means, but I know that, that God brought, my, brought your face to me through every sentence of what I was preparing to, to ask you this morning. You know, have you found the depth of that provision? Whatever the situation is, because what I, I don't know. So the great question for today for not only Jeremy, but for everyone is simple. Can you find that richness in this current moment, no matter what you're facing? I wish we had time this morning to go person by person and have you just stand and say, this is what I'm facing. This is the great question I have on my heart. This is the great issue that I'm facing, the great struggle that is on my heart today. I know right now that some of you here have those issues. And the question, the real question is, can you find what you cannot see? Shorty, if we went outside and got a small drilling rig and started drilling, what would we hit at about 200 feet? How do you know? Because we've done it before. But what about the... The guy who did it first. What was he doing? Yeah, he was exploring. He was drilling. He was discovering a provision that he had not yet seen. Isn't that amazing? That someone had an understanding enough somewhere back there to believe that if I, if I do this, this is what I'm going to find. And that very first person dug to discover what he could not see. Mike, if we, Mike's not here, somebody else. If we go down 5,000 feet, what are we going to see? Oh, there you are, Mike. What are we going to, what are we going to find at about 5,000 feet? Oil, water, and gas. How do we know that? Because somebody, at some point, dug 
and discovered what they could not yet see. I'm talking about in faith doing exactly the same thing. Doing what David did. When he faced the lion and he he faced the bear, what did David do? He had to find a provision in that moment when, when death was imminent. He had to find a provision that he could not see. What did he have to do when he was facing Goliath? He had to find a provision that he could not immediately see. What about Moses standing there in front of the Red Sea? What were the circumstances? Here's an army coming at him, the Red Sea's in front of him, and here's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who are following him, and he's looking for a provision that he cannot see, and he stands there, and God says, hold out your rod, and in that act of obedience, the provision that he couldn't see becomes evident. What amazing faith. I don't, don't discount it. That's amazing faith. To be able to say, I can't see a single way I can't see a single possibility, but somewhere deep inside of me, I'm able to find a provision that makes no sense, but I found it in the moment when I needed it the most. That's great faith. And I tell you what, I wish we could find one. One person. Anywhere in, this, in, 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 in churches to start a, to start a revolution. Because that great faith is not, is not evident within churches today, within the body of Christ today. It's not powerfully evident. We need one person. Our testimony today isn't small because we don't see great moves of God. Our testimonies are small because we've not yet discovered how to find the provision when it's not evident. How did these men make such a discovery? How did they do what they did? David, Elijah, Moses. How did they do it? It began with a great challenge. None of them discovered the things, of the invisible things if there wasn't a challenge there first. And perhaps you're facing one of those today. It required a confidence that something or someone bigger had placed you in that moment. You get that? Think about that just a second. Not only did it take a great challenge, but it took an understanding, something deep inside you, realizing that something or someone bigger had placed you in that very moment. It required them searching for a person rather than a thing. Every one of these great men found someone, not something. Every one of them. Daniel in the lion's den, who did he find? He found someone. David, facing the lion and the bear, found someone, not something. Elijah, in these moments, discovered someone. We look for something, and God says, I want you to discover someone. The great challenge that you're facing today may very well be put there by the hand of God, and you may have been put in that moment to absolutely make sure that you knew something that you knew something and you discovered someone. And here's the last thing. It required them coming into agreement with God even when the results were not yet evident. I want to talk about this for just a second and I wish John was here. John and I were out here and had a conversation a couple of Sunday nights ago. 
And John asked me this question. He said, he said, Randy, I've had some people tell me that it makes them real nervous when you talk about me being healed. Why would it make people nervous for me to talk about John Souls getting out of that electric cart that he rides in and standing and being made whole? Why would it make people nervous for me to talk about the visions that I've had and the visions that others have had? Why would they, why would they be nervous? What do you think? They don't understand that, and they absolutely, they love John. They just don't want him to be disappointed if it doesn't happen. They don't want him to be disappointed if, if it doesn't happen. Well, I want to tell you just a, a real key piece of information. The grace that sustains John in the chair is the same grace that would sustain him outside of the chair. It's still the grace in the, in the move of God. But I want to tell you, what happens when we don't want to see John disappointed is that our minds are coming into agreement with things that God did not speak. We have to let our minds even overcome that edge and come into agreement with what God has spoken even when we can't see the evidence of it. And I sat here and I asked John, I said, John, tell me about this. He said, I don't want anybody to be disappointed because he said, I see myself as already healed. I have already come into agreement with what God is going to do and I don't see myself any other way even though my body doesn't give the evidence of it yet. Man, that's, what I, that's great faith. John Souls is a man of great faith because he has discovered something deep and rich even when the circumstances don't point to it or the circumstances of the situation don't tell that story. John has come into agreement with what God has spoken. When Rhea and Amanda spoke that prophecy over him first, that he would get out of that chair and be made whole, John came into agreement with the Word of God and came into agreement with the purpose of God, all this time waiting that his body would then show the evidence of what his spirit had already agreed to. That's great faith. Don't worry Please, John, this, if John were here, he'd make this request. He'll make it when, when he's ready because he told me, I need to speak that myself. But John would tell you, please don't worry about me be, being disappointed because the grace that, grace that sustains me in the chair will be the grace that brings me out of it. It's still the grace of God, and I'm still trusting the same grace. Whether here or outside of the chair, it's the same grace that I trust. They don't have to worry about me being disappointed because I'm trusting the grace of God either place. Greatness means in that moment when I don't see the evidence and the circumstances don't point to it, I can come into agreement with what God has spoken and let that provision of God then begin to rush up in me and overtake me. That's great faith. And I'd ask you this morning, just a couple of simple things. If you're sitting here this morning and you're lost and you have no relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior, are you willing to discover the invisible provision that was made for you, whose name is Jesus? If you're sitting here this morning and your heart is broken, are you willing to discover the invisible provision of the Spirit and by His healing power find the name who can heal your broken heart? His name is Jesus. And if you need deliverance this morning, if you're struggling this morning, because of issues or questions or things that just aren't right in your life, things that 
or have been broken way too long. Relationships that have just been broken way too long. Are you willing to trust the Holy Spirit to remove or to deliver you out of that current frame of mind, out of that current situation, so that you can see the provision of God that he has for you in this moment? The, re the request is just real simple. I've had a broken relationship with my brother for a while. And it's been one of those hard ones because there's nothing wrong between us. There's never been a moment of anger. There's never been an outburst. But clearly things were broken. And I hate it when this happens, but about four weeks ago I was listening to one of my own sermons as I was preaching up here listening to myself and the Holy Spirit said Randy how can you say that when you have this in your own life so last Thursday I drove on the other side of Dallas and met with my brother you know the oddest thing about that The thing that had caused the brokenness in him and the brokenness in me had nothing to do with either one of us. And when the Holy Spirit, the provision, began to speak that day when we were standing there in his shed with that East Texas sun hitting us in the face, the Holy Spirit began to bring truth into our story that we'd never realized before. And I can tell you today that healing has come because an invisible provision was found in that moment. And I told him, I said, I'll be honest with you. I said, I wanted to, I wanted to cancel coming even last night. I, I wanted to cancel coming even that morning because I could not see any way that God would bring healing into this story. But when we went in, in, in obedience, did what we were supposed to do, God brought restoration and healing into that relationship. And it's better now than I can tell you that I believe it's ever been. I don't know what you're hanging on to. I don't know what hurt is there. I don't know what forgiveness you need to seek. I don't know what frame of mind you need to let go so that you can be free. I don't have any details about any of your stories to say I know what you need. But this I do know. This I know. That there is a provision. If you have the nerve to drill for it, even though you can't see it. If you have the nerve to explore the heart of God so that you can find it. The provision of God will come rushing into this moment right now, for you, if you have the heart to find it. Listen to what the Holy Spirit's offering. Yeah, Jan. I need to share this with you. Uh, 
we've been talking in Sunday school about faith. And uh, it dawned on me, or God put it in my heart, that what happens is our heart and our minds aren't working together. Is that we have it in our heart, but our minds really, you really hear about that? And then when our minds feel that, it's just, that's right. Some emotional feeling said, no, it's not right. But you know, even in the little things, it starts with little things like, I, uh, I got to thinking about that, and the Lord gave me the scripture. It says, you know, if you have the faith, then in Philippians 4, 7, it says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. And, you know, it's, it's a little thing, but I've subbed for 10 years, and I'm not going to next year. But uh, I had a really hard time this spring with one class. And I, I just felt like they didn't like me. And so I didn't want to work again. And Debbie called and said, would you take this class, this work this is not as well. I don't want to pray, but I will. Just pray for me. And so, you know how you anticipate? Anticipation is worse than the actual happening. So I got to school that morning and I thought, Lord, I just can't. I don't know what to do. You're going to have to do it. And I know Jay lots of times pray for peace over a, a body. And so when I stood up, I, I, I said, you know, Lord, you're going to have to do it because it's not in me. And I, after that class was over, I called it, I looked at him and I said, you know what? That was the best class I've ever had. And it was because I put it before the Lord and said, you're going to have to do it because I can't. And there's this peace across that whole class. And it's, don't get me wrong, guys, I like y'all. But guys are so hard in class. And it was just, I couldn't believe it. And I said, you know what? I, even in those little things that are big at the time, you've got to put your faith that God can take care of it. And so that, I, I just kept thinking, well, gosh, maybe I want to sub again. And I thought, no, I'm going to have grandchildren, so I just, I'm, I'm going to you know, take care of them. But, but even in the little things like that, think that God doesn't care. He does. I mean, I, I just couldn't believe it. I just, the whole class was just calm, peaceful. And I just, I just want to encourage you to put the little things before God because they're important to him just like the big things are. Yeah. If you're, if you're thinking it has to be a big thing this morning, and Jan should have corrected that because he's fascinated with the little things as well. I'm going to ask this morning, for those of you who know that you're supposed to minister, I want you to be ready in this way, because I don't want you to believe when you stand up here as a minister that you have to be ready to pray for someone, or that you have to be ready to, to counsel with someone. All you have to do to be ready to minister up here this morning is to understand that I have the provision for, for this moment has come to me, and all I'm doing is releasing the provision of freedom into someone else's life. So when someone walks up here to you and they, and they share with you that I'm, I'm, I'm broken in this moment, my heart's broken, or whatever's going on, the response that you need to share with them is by the authority that God has given me under the anointing for this morning is I release freedom and power into your story. 
healing into your heart, restoration into your mind, whatever it is, you'll know what to release into their story because God's power is flowing from here through you to them. You're not the power. You're not the wisdom. You're not the understanding. You're the vessel that God wants to use to release it into somebody else. So I would ask you this morning, if you know that you're a minister, please come forward right now.